0: gentlemen welcome to privacy please i am your host cameron ivy and with me as always gabe gums today we have an awesome guest uh, her name is michelle madsen she's a freelance investigative journalist love that title thanks so much for coming on michelle and we're excited to to, to talk with you
1: my pleasure nice to meet you babe yeah well why don't you all start by
2: telling us about yourself
1: so i am um... I've been a journalist uh, for about like oh, quite a long time, um, and uh, a lot of the journalism that I have done has been a sort of like around investigating companies who do, um, who are usually based in the UK or they're based in the States and um, they are active in uh, countries where they want to kind of get oil or metals or uh, other commodities out of there and I look into um, corruption that happens between these companies or their intermediaries so that's one thing I've looked at for a long time but I also make um, I also make theatre and I'm a writer and a poet um, because it's all storytelling isn't it so it'll kind of I'm just curious. I guess I'm nosy. So even a nosy as a journalist or nosy as an artist. um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it's quite a helpful time in the world to have a portfolio career. So um, I think it's the first time in my life I've gone, wow, it's quite good to be doing loads of completely unrelated different things. But they are all related, really. They all connect.
2: Portfolio career. I like that phrase. Consider it stolen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Take it, by, by all means. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, on the show where um, you know we, 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 we focus in on this show on, on privacy and, and privacy matters and one of the things that uh, that really drew us to to you and your story was about one of those ways that privacy kind of expresses itself in the real world in ways we don't always think about. Oftentimes in the show we talk about how one can protect their privacy and how they should and, and maybe we'll get into that a little in late a little later in the show. But your story in particular is one of those cases where I'm not sure that anyone would have known that they should have been thinking about how to protect themselves from, from, uh, fr- from the privacy invasion that you you received, which is to say, um, well, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, exactly your 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 recent in, in journal and. Your recent investigative journalism that kind of led to the invasion of your privacy. There we go. That's a mouthful. It is.
1: There's so many long words there. Um, A couple of years ago, I started working. Well, I've been working um, investigating um, UK-listed companies doing stuff in West Africa for quite a long time. But there was one particular, um, like... I don't know, mining magnet, like a colourful character who I had been keeping an eye on um, for a while, who's called Frank Timmis. And this guy is a um, Romanian-Australian businessman who had self-styled himself at one point as the emperor of West African mining. And he had done a deal in Senegal whereby he got access to these really lucrative potential gas fields off the coast for hardly any money and then two years later his company or a company connected to him flipped on those gas fields to british petroleum bp for a billion dollars it's a lot of money it's a lot of money and um i remember at the time i was like wait a minute this is ah this isn't a cave and we i am got some funding and managed to pull a team together and we started investigating this um and just before we went out to senegal to investigate this or a couple of months beforehand i am um, i was in north london i had just gone to a, a, a dance class as you do and i had I got oh, i was looking at my phone and i just saw that i had a million um messages from People who I never heard of before, or asking me if I had written a story, um, which said that Ousmane Sonko, who is the, who was a presidential uh, candidate in the election in Senegal, um, that he had taken a massive bribe from a UK oil company called Tullo. and um, and it was published in a. A news website called Modern Ghana, and um, and I looked, and that was just that. Those were emails, and then I looked on Facebook, and I was like, it was all over Facebook. It was on my messages, on my wall. It was all all over Twitter, and people started calling me, and I was like, no, I haven't written this. But what freaked me out is that some of the news stories had bits of information that were really was strange and they, they they suggested that I thought I'd been hacked basically I was really paranoid I thought I'd been hacked I thought people knew exactly what I was investigating um, and I didn't understand why people were asking me if I'd written this because my name was not the same as the author of the story the author of the story was called Michelle Damson which is my name just a bit mushed around so it sort of turned into this crazy wild goose chase whereby I was getting really angry with all of these journalists, these poor journalists who were just asking me if I'd written the story. And I was like, no, I have not. If you publish this, I will sue you. Um, and uh, eventually one, uh, a guy called Papa Diang, who's like a blogger in Senegal, messaged me on Facebook and just said, did you write this story? I said, no, I did not write the story got nothing to do with me what is the website modern Ghana and he took a screenshot of that also the photo my profile photo at the time was me looking dressed as a clown which is obviously great for my reputation as an investigative journalist Um, and he stuck that all over the news in Senegal and then there was another wave of news stories in the Dakar press saying Michelle Madsen says it's not her and they just took loads of pictures of me off Facebook and put them all over the press um, over there, which was, again, equally delightful. Um, so the story was like, it came, it appeared like a flame. It burned for like 48 hours and then it disappeared. Um, but it was such a weird situation and I started looking into who, it, who, where it could have come from and there are a few really strange clues along the way which led me to talk to um, the BBC about it. And they're really interested in uh, doing a documentary on it, whereby I try and find out who wrote the story. Because quite often these stories just appear and then they disappear and then nobody does anything about them. So I made it my mission to try and find out who was Michelle Damson and who wrote the story.
2: You mentioned a couple of things in there that I find really interesting. First and foremost, you thought you may have been hacked. Uh, so w- what were there details, private details about yourself, like personally identifiable things that, that appeared somewhere along the, this uh, fabricated story that was fairly close to uh, the truth or things that you knew to, uh, to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, um... Because I'm an independent investigative journalist, um, I mean, I I spent a lot of time working as a staff writer for different publications, but when I went freelance, I stopped... Because I was doing sort of long-term investigations, which are kind of quite sensitive, I was not really writing with a byline. I would work for unions, and I would write for, like, publications like Private Eye or Africa Confidential, which don't carry a byline. So... For somebody to know that it was me writing those stories, they'd need to have been following quite closely what was going on. I don't have, I don't, my name is not necessarily coming up all over the Guardian or the New York Times or whatever. Um, And then there were some details in one of the news stories which mentioned Frank Timmis, I mentioned Oxfam, um, and mentioned, actually mentioned my name, Michelle Madsen. And that really made me freak out because um, we'd just got the funding um, from a, a, a funding body which had some connections with Oxfam to investigate Frank Timmis. And I was like, is this coincidental? I don't know. But I hadn't, I don't think I had actually been hacked at that point, but when I was in Senegal investigating stuff. My accounts were being attacked and attacked and attacked (laughs) again and again. So those were my social media accounts and my Gmail account. I constantly saw that there were people trying to sign in from different places. So that was um Wow. That was fun. That
2: is interesting. So you know a lot of our listeners are no strangers to working with sensitive information. The information that you work with primarily, uh, quite sensitive, but but maybe in, in a different manner. And being an individual versus you know someone that works for an organization, um, mm-hmm. you're you're not a staff writer. What what steps do you take to protect that information? I mean, obviously your sources have to be protected, but as you gather information, just what is a benign activity the most? Firing up Microsoft Word and jotting things down is not that benign in your role so what, what steps do you take to protect that information
1: um, i mean i usually work with hard copies of,
2: <laughs> that's um, one good way Just yeah. keep it offline
1: um, yeah, yeah yeah i keep a lot of if i'm dealing with documents and i'm meeting a source then i'll keep it offline um if i'm sharing information i'm uh, i feel you know if i need to send electronically stuff it's either via pgp or i use proton proton mail um Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because um, I think that the way that people share information online um, means that there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of flying around. Um, And also, as a journalist, you do everything you can to protect your sources, but quite often your sources don't know how to protect themselves. So they'll send you some super, like, you're like, are you sending from a... A secure source no <laughs> and you're like well that is not a good idea but generally um you know I think my my desire is usually to sort of work on in hard copy if I can when it comes to like contracts or um any documentation which is uh, sensitive and then I would sort of um find a way of putting that onto something that's secure electronically and working with it like that but I just I I mean as soon as you start sending stuff around it can be tampered with and you know you just I, I, I find it very difficult to know what to believe to be honest <laughs> and uh I mean but also one of the things that happened with this situation was that we managed to at least get an idea of who might have written the story because they had absolutely terrible privacy, you know. Ah. So, they, they, we, um, we worked. So, I worked with my editor, um, Andy Weir at Africa Confidential, and we did an, an initial trace on the telephone number which was used to call Modern Ghana. So the, the journalist who wrote the original Michelle Damson story really wanted to make sure that it had been um, published. So they called up and they were like, can we give you some money? Can you make sure it's called? And so we could. We just did a reverse trace on that and we found out the name of the person who uh, the phone had apparently belonged to. And then also there was, you know, following the IP address, we managed to get some sort of idea what was going on. And there was and there was a, an e- a Gmail account that the story was sent from but that was then shut down, so they built a, a Gmail account specifically to send that story and then shut it down.
2: That is fascinating. I, I listen to all of the elements that you mentioned: a phone number, an IP address, an email address, and these are all the types of directly or indirectly identifiable information. That uh, again, you know, my listeners are usually uh, are very intimately familiar with, but in a it's such a very different context. Um, it, it's fascinating to, to hear how. You know, privacy knows no boundaries from a technology perspective, and and all those things come into play. Um, so that's that's certainly one mechanism for uh, for for protecting your your journalistic work. But now in your private life, you also mentioned, um, and by all means, anything you not comfortable answering, do You also mentioned that they you know took some photos from your from your mm-hmm. Facebook account, etc. Um, so what measures do you take? in your life now that maybe you didn't take before this to kind of protect your privacy uh, a bit more?
1: I guess I just don't really post very much. I mean, I sort of, <laughs> like, you know. off mine again. <laughs> yeah, like, well, no, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather get off Facebook entirely. I'd rather not use any Facebook products. I'd rather not use WhatsApp. I'd rather just get off it. Um, but um, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, it's been, you know, patently clear that, It's it's been a difficult time to set up new forms of um, communicating. I mean, I just have all my privacy settings up as high as possible on Facebook, but I don't have any faith in that whatsoever. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know enough about the privacy situation, really. But like, I, I, uh, you know, I guess what happens is that algorithm. You know, you present a certain aspect of yourself on social media. And um, I think I've just allowed the aspect of myself on social media to not have very much to do with a lot of the stuff that I do. I think it's a, you can decide, it can be up to you. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to give them everything. You can choose what you give, but I am, I'd be very interested to know about what measures one can really genuinely take to have, uh, to feel that you have privacy online. I
2: don't feel as if I do. Yeah. you. The statement you just made about you don't have to, it is your choice, might be the most powerful one. I, I too, avoid 99.9% of, of the platforms. Uh, in, in some previous episodes, we've covered, I think maybe even in the very first episode, uh, I think I, I spoke with Cameron about some of the the tools I use personally um, to protect my own privacy online. Um, the EFF, I'm sure you're familiar with, like Electronic Freedom Frontier, uh, they've, they've got some, some publicly available tools, et cetera. I don't know that ultimately there's any foolproof way, though. Uh, so certainly, certainly nothing that we've found. Otherwise, this speech behind me would be real. And I'd be, <laughs> be reporting to you live so
0: from there if I knew the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michelle, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from this whole debacle? What's the most surprising thing that you've kind of, that's come to mind?
1: I think I really, um, I'm so, I I think the fake news aspect of this was that was fascinating in that like, you know, people lie all the time. We all lie. But the, um, the way that the internet allows mud to stick, even if it's disproved, was really interesting. And Mm -hmm. like, I went to Senegal on the investigation, for the investigation which had been funded, which had got nothing to do with the Michelle Madsen, that damson mess, um, a couple of months after this happened. And it was really a bit embarrassing trying to meet up with government officials and like, um, I don't know, any human being who had any exposure to this story and try and explain that I am who I am. Because I was sort of, my name was sort of mixed up in something which was had been attached to headlines which involved the words corruption, um, like smear, oil, you know, it's, it's I think you think about language, if you put somebody's name with a bunch of words <laughs> that kind of give them a certain impression, that sticks. Even if you say this person has nothing to do with oil corruption, blah, blah, blah. So I think it made me realize how um yeah the internet is sticky, and um mm. things don't nec- don 't go away, and people can you know you <laughs> I, I, you know they put a couple of photos went up of me which were kind of there they they were nothing particularly horrific, but they're just a photo from a wedding and also me like dressed up as a character and I thought, well, I'm really lucky that I don't present myself as, you know, somebody in a flak jacket in a war zone, because I think if I had a very distinct persona, then it would be much more damaging. Like, I do lots of different things, and I don't hide any of them. So, um, but I think that if you have a particular side of you which you put forward on the internet, then that veneer can quite easily be stripped away or damaged if somebody wants to screw you over
0: yeah we're, we're living in a very sensitive world where a lot of people most people it seems more than ever now love negative news love to take people down that might not necessarily even have anything going on they just things are just kind of stirred up and people love love taking people down I don't know why that that is the way the world is now but hopefully it doesn't continue that way how did that make you feel having something like this happen to you and realizing wow identity can be very easily stolen I mean did that kind of open your eyes to that or have you ever experienced actual fraud or identification theft on yourself
1: no I don't No, I don't think so definitely not to this degree um I think mainly I realized that I had been existing as a journalist and doing some fairly like uh not dangerous, but you know prodding a wasp's nests, if uh, want of a better phrase, um but I had been doing so with my head under the parapet and like, yeah, like, um, which gave me a sense of security in some way, and then to be dragged out into the a limelight. I mean, like yeah. limelight, which only lasted like a couple of days in Dakar. I wouldn't like blow up too much, but um, <laughs> it, yeah, it was a bit. It was it was a bit shocking. I felt uh, I felt less safe. I really I freaked out when I was in. Senegal and I I saw my accounts being hacked. I really freaked out, but um, it was also quite amusing. I was like, "This is absolutely ridiculous. This is just laughably stupid." Um, Also, I think that's the manner of most fraud. You know, like that's the stuff I I I investigate because I find it quite like actually hilarious. Like how. Mm -hmm how stories get twisted and if you're not paying attention loads of things can slip underneath and i think that um that's one of the interesting things about identity like and you know it maybe it, it taught me that like have being flexible about your identity and not being too fixed on like this is who i am is a great benefit in a world where like um it's very easy to throw mud at people and yeah, you can get, like, torn to shreds and be like, but actually, that's not all of me. I mean this as well, and then it's not quite so alarming. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know whether they'll go after the uh, mime clown version of me, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see if they, <laughs> <so> the story.
0: <laughs> so if I'm getting it right, I mean, as a journalist, as a freelance journalist, as an artist, um, did it, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but did you feel like you want to stay in the shadows is that just how you kind of want to be in general and now this has kind of brought you more to light
1: I think no I think I've, I'm an attention-seeking person so I, I enjoy being in the limelight but I think that I hadn't found a way to do the work that I wanted to work which is really in-depth like reporting over yeah. a very long period of time that really goes in and in and in and is complicated <laughs> You know, like I'd spend a lot of time looking through really detailed uh, mining contracts and and, and legal documents, etc., etc. And that sort of work didn't really have a place um, in the mainstream press. It doesn't really have a place in the mainstream press. You have to make you have to simplify the story a lot, and um, I have a lot of problems with how. Journalism does that because I think it's like the difficulty is things are complicated and you can only simplify them to a certain degree before you start losing some of the context. Um, so, yeah. yes, yes, maybe I would I would have liked I would have very much liked some of the stuff that I've done to have had a, you know to been out in the world in a bigger way. But I actually think that um, in terms of my profile, I think that. I felt it was easier to do the work that I was doing without being uh, having a big name around my neck. Yeah. Um, I had come from a background where I was really reporting sort of deep from the industry. So like reporting on um, like the prices of commodities and actually you know, having, knowing the traders, knowing the, knowing the businessmen really quite well, and mm-hmm. so, having that kind of um, deep knowledge felt like it felt. If I had sort of tried to have a higher profile, I think that um, it would have been less easy to speak to them because they'd know that what I was saying would be out in flashing lights. Um, yeah. But now I don't really have a choice. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got to ride with it.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: So I'm curious, uh, being a journalist, what do you think is one myth that you could debunk right now that most people think is a a truth as a journalist that you could say is definitely not true?
1: Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, That um, that the news is unbiased. That is definitely not true. Every story. The bias. Everybody has a narrative that they're coming from. So I would say if you're interested in finding out the truth, read widely and read deeply and form your own opinion.
0: I love that. I, I think good you're all around. Yeah. Just in general for everything. Don't don't always settle on one one thing. Always do your research and kind of spread it out a little bit. Yeah, you, know, like you and said, with your determine your own decision. Yeah, <laughs> but but if you're such a good journalist, you want them to you want them to hone in on your story.
1: I mean, I'm a good journalist. I I, I really love uh, finding things out. But I think this, you know the the Black Lives Matter movement, the coronavirus epidemic, the um, the world at the moment has made me think an awful lot about like, you know, who, who are you to tell a story? Who, why, why do you tell the story? And I really am super, super interested in what I see as um, corporate colonialism, whereby, Mm -hmm. you know, companies which look respectable, basically take resources from countries which have, been massively oppressed by the countries that those companies come from and it just carries on and that's my real interest but i sometimes i'm like actually you know activism is more effective than the journalism but i think they all kind of go hand in hand so um like i i don't know i think that i think that like there's a great desire i've got a really great desire to sort of share stories with people and keep finding stuff out but I don't know where to put stories Mm -hmm. as a journalist i'm like i don't want to put you know if the biggest circulated newspapers in the uk are owned by rupert murdoch i don't want to put out stuff on that i don't yeah (laughs) Um, so where do you get where do you put things where do you find people to read the stuff Leave something important at the bottom of the internet. A challenge guys on a, an adventure finds it. Yeah, it is.
0: That's interesting. Now, before I move on to our fun segment, as I like to call it, uh, Gabe, do you have any more questions for Michelle? Or did, Michelle, do you have anything that you want to add that we haven't talked about, or that you want to bring up about the article about the situation? Um, is it still ongoing? What's what's the? Is it something that's been settled? Is it? It seems like it might be something that might take a while, right?
1: There's still oh, there's still question marks out there. Yeah. Um, there have you so if you listen to the documentary, you hear um, this journalist who is in the states called Baba Idara saying that it definitely wasn't him, and he put out an hour long. deposition on YouTube saying that the BBC was corrupt and after him and was receiving money from someone Um, so I am I've got to investigate this and find out a bit more and there's also um, we're also still really interested in finding out what on earth happened with the money that BP paid to the Senegal government and there's a whole you know activist group that are trying to sort of get some justice for the people of Senegal because there's a lot of money that's disappeared and they want it back. And they're probably also like not to have an environmental disaster off their coast. That would be good.
2: There's just so much to unravel there. Yeah, <laughs> you thought Western politics were interesting. West African politics uh, enters the chat. Uh.
0: It's
1: so it's so fascinating. It's amazing. <laughs> I was, amazingly
0: interesting now i know you just went through through the the stress of all this you're still going through someone you know basically stealing your identity and writing something that you did not write um and report on but i would imagine that it was probably more stressful moving like you just recently did and how you had to move yeah um
1: (laughs) i think moving has got to be the most stressful thing in the world i moved off a boat And then I moved into a flat, but in a different country. So it was a bit like a crazy adventure.
0: (laughs) But you're all settled in now. That's good. So we'll have some fun questions here. What are your biggest phobias or what is your biggest phobia? And do you Uh, think you'll be able to ever overcome it?
1: My biggest phobia is probably my uh, need for security. I'm, ter- I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm really brave. I'm really brave. I can do anything. And then there's a bit of me which is like, help, I need things to be secure. So that, um, that's... <laughs> you sound like it. my customers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me security and privacy in the internet. Um, yeah, I think I'd love to overcome it. I'll just have to work very hard. Um, and that, and what else am I really scared of? Uh, I'm quite scared of like um, bridges which have holes in them where you can see the water rushing underneath. They freak me out.
0: Oh god! You mean like a like a wooden bridge from like, uh... think Indiana Jones. <laughs> that kind of that kind yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, I was gonna say okay. All okay. right, don't cut the rope. Don't let. It... Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of those either. If they're especially <laughs> if they're big ones, I'll try to stay away from those.
1: <laughs> Too much. Too much.
0: Um, what is your favorite word?
1: um oh there's so many (laughs) i think at the moment it's gonna be so pretentious my favorite word is lacuna lacuna Lacuna. yeah i don't what is that i don't
0: what what does lacuna mean i
1: think think it means a gap (laughs) okay i'm gonna start using
0: that i'm writing it down
1: lacuna it sounds good doesn't it it sounds a bit like um, the the gap background that you have in your zoom Gabe, okay, it looks a little bit like that could be a lacuna.
0: I like that. Lacuna. I'm using,
2: not
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to use that in a meeting yeah. somehow. I'm going to try to <laughs> sway it in there. The dictionary says it's an unfilled space or interval, a yeah, gap. I like it.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's... You say that I need to take five, I'm having a lacuna. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <I like it. laughs> if I'm not back in a lacuna, just wait longer. <laughs> <laughs> um what is something that you're not very good at that you're okay to admit
1: i'm not very good at handstands and i really want to do be more. better at handstands i love doing them
0: but i'm not that's a good. thing too that's a big thing like the the handstand walking and stuff
1: oh yeah hard, it's really so hard good. to do yeah and you have to have this amazing like like upper arm um, like the strength in the kind of bow that goes across your arms but also really amazing core strength and an ability to understand yeah. what is straight how you can actually like tip your hip <laughs> in the right direction all of which is a bit too much for my tiny brain to cope with so i like i just <laughs> try and then i collapse a long flop but i do love doing them
0: well there's the strength and the mindset and then there's also the balance yeah which i mean there's just too much going on I'm just, just like, eh, Just give me weights. I'll just do weights. I don't want to go upside <laughs> it occurred, down. It occurred to me when you said that. In
2: order to know that you wanted to get better at it, or it was afraid, like it means you had to be doing it. Like it's it's a thing you actively do.
1: I do. I actively <laughs> do handstands as many. I do try to do some every day. <laughs> just ridiculous. Um, but I do love. Yeah, I think I like the I like the angle that you can see the world from. Okay,
0: life goals. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny too because I've always been one to like want to try to do cartwheels and I can never do them right. I feel like they're kind of sideways when I try to do them. So I just play them off and have fun with them, but they're
1: just not, I know they're not good. And uh, You need to get, a, you need to get like a handy circus person to spot you. I mean, they know, they know, they know the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> um, I like to ask this a lot. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? And why?
1: Well, I think invisibility, because then I could, like, lurk around <laughs> <to> and find <laughs> stuff without having to, um, and then I could disappear when people start uh, faking news in my name. I could just, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could follow, I could follow them. I think it'd be great, really great trick for an investigative journalist to have.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: that's think that
0: remains power, not, not leaping to. With invisibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's like 99% of everybody's choice, it seems, which is funny, but I think that is definitely the one everybody would want.
1: And then also on the converse side, you, sometimes you just want massive visibility. So are like, it's all about me. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's have invisibility first.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, one last question. If you could be any type of food, what food would you be and why? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man the first thing that comes into my mind just is a massive lump of parmesan because it is like re- really good parmesan like really delicious amazing parmesan because it just tastes good on just about everything and it lasts now
0: are we talking like grated or like a chunk a of parmesan
1: chunk which can be grated it come, or shaved into small pieces it comes in many forms but strong and punchy and delicious and um and a little bit smelly and um lasts for i don't know years
0: yeah <laughs> so you're saying you're a little cheesy uh
1: well you, you, you have that. <laughs> but uh, yes i'll go with that
2: amazingly no one ever says durian ever
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do people
2: say you say chocolate. <laughs> yes, yeah, we get chocolate. We get chocolate.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the first. In all fairness, that's the first time I've asked anyone if they could be a food. Now I've asked what their favorite food is, but yeah. I've never asked what if they could be a food. Or movies,
1: mm. right? I like that. I like the embodiment, uh, That's great.
0: <clears throat> Me too. It's interesting because everybody obviously has. Uh, some people are be like, uh, "I don't even know," but I'm. I'm happy that you had. <laughs> a good idea of that that's i don't know if you've been asked that before but i love it i love the answer
1: now i know now i know that today in this particular <laughs> moment i would be parmesan
0: i love it well um thank you so much for coming on this has been a pleasure and um thank you for telling your story and i think we should definitely have you back on when when things get situated and figured out with this whole story because it's very fascinating
1: and oh, i'm totally know. interested well, I better pull my finger out and start investigating again. So, thank you for giving me a little bit of a kick. But it's been lovely to speak to you both, and uh, I will tighten up my internet security after this conversation.
2: <laughs> for those that that are interested, we're going to put in the in the show notes a link to to uh, directly to to a page where they can read more about yourself and and your journalistic efforts, as well as. To the uh, to this story in particular, in the BBC uh, news new story, and uh, there's also a YouTube link there will will be embedded as well to it, but uh, more of that information. So hopefully, folks find this as fascinating as we did, and, uh, and go check out the rest of it. It's, it's just one of those real world privacy comes knocking at your door stories that we like to tell.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you, guys. Love to speak Thank to you. Thank you too. Time. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy, Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all around decent guy until next time.